0: Hey Cole, in keeping with my October theme, I'm dipping into the Halloween franchise this week, so are you ready for some Michael Myers slasher action? Sure. Well too bad, because he's not in this one, and if you're thinking, well that sounds boring, you're right. Welcome to Second to Die, the horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And that doesn't make sense to me.
1: I'm no horror movie expert, obviously, but isn't Michael Myers like the whole point of
0: the Halloween franchise? Well, you would think that, but apparently back in 1982, they decided that it would be a good idea... To take a very successful franchise starring an iconic killer and just completely take him out of it.
1: That makes zero sense.
0: Yeah. So I'll explain to you a little bit about how it happened. But before that, I guess I'll just let people know since most of them have probably guessed. But this week I'm doing Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Or as I like to call it, Halloween 3 why was this movie made? (laughs) Oh God. So Halloween three season of the witch made in 1982. It was directed and written by Tommy Lee Wallace. I'll do a little bit of an explanation of one, why I'm doing Halloween three and two, why this movie was even made. Even though that question still remains to this day, a mystery to everybody, except for the people who like this movie. I'll get to them in a bit. You say them with such disdain. (laughs) Yeah, so one of the driving forces behind me doing this is because when we were first, I guess, brainstorming this podcast, one of the big reasons that we wanted to do it the way we're doing it is because Cole has not seen a lot of these classic horror movies. I have seen Halloween, but that wasn't until a couple years ago, and that was with you. Yes, and I believe we watched the second one as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's why I decided to do the third one. Even though I had seen the third one before and I remember hating it. But I thought to myself, you know, I'm a little older now, more mature. My tastes have developed to where I can appreciate a lot more different types and styles of film. So maybe I should revisit Halloween 3. And there's a chance I wouldn't think it was garbage. Take a
1: chance. Hire the smart, fat girl. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, this did not work out, unlike for Miranda Priestly. But anyways, so I'll talk. So, okay, let's just get into talking about this movie, what it is, why it is. And then I'll go talk a little bit about what happens in it. So you too can hear about the massive train wreck that is Halloween 3 season of The Witch.
1: I mean, it's 2020. It is the year of the dumpster fire.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's just, just they should remake this movie and it could because, you know, how they made like they remade Halloween and then they had all that like Halloween H2O and stuff. It could be like Halloween 2020, the remake of Season of the Witch, where everybody sees this shitty movie again. <sighs> anyway. OK, so this is kind of what happened. So John Carpenter, who created Halloween, very famous horror legend. And Deborah Hill returned as the producers for Halloween three. Halloween 3 is the only entry in the series that does not feature the series' antagonist, Michael Myers. I have explained this much. But, I will say that this film was by far the most disappointing and poorly received one in the series. And because of its performance at the box office, they ended up bringing Michael Myers back for Halloween 4. However, the reason that this movie... Ended up being the way that it is without Michael Myers and a completely different. Honestly, it's a completely different type of movie is because Carpenter and Hill only agreed to participate in the project if it was not a direct sequel to Halloween 2, which meant that Michael Myers would not be the focus in it. Because if you remember, Halloween 2 was a direct sequel to Halloween 1. And I don't mean it was the same thing for people that haven't seen these movies. Halloween 2 starts literally where Halloween 1 left off. Like, it's almost like you could watch them back to back and it would just be a r- really long movie. So Halloween 3 treats the prior films as fictional films that exist in the world of Halloween 3, but Michael Myers did not actually happen. And there's even a point in Halloween 3 where they're in a bar and they see a commercial, and the commercial is for the movie Halloween with Michael Myers. That's a choice. Yes. Yes. And the tagline for Halloween 3 is the night no one comes home, which makes absolutely no sense considering the plot that I'm about to tell you about. But it is a reference to the original tagline from Halloween, which was the night he came home, obviously referencing Michael Myers. So it departs from the slasher genre, which obviously all the other Halloweens are, and instead features a witchcraft theme with science fiction aspects is just what it is
1: so also sorry i'm being quiet because i'm like
0: saying okay just
1: just your like summary talking about i'm like oh my god this is not even a movie i would try watching
0: so saying it's a witchcraft theme is a stretch it is kind of sci-fi-ish but (laughs) there's just it, it honestly i just can't even with this But anyway, so the whole reason that it is completely different is because Carpenter and Hill believed that Halloween had the potential to be like an anthology centered around the night of Halloween, with each sequel containing its own characters, settings, and storylines. And they thought that this was going to spawn this great new genre of film. Or maybe not genre, but this great new sort of series of films where... They would be sort of horror-related, but not all-related. Kind of like American Horror Story, honestly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I
0: can kind of get where they're trying to go. Yeah, so I think it was a good idea in theory. I can tell you, in my opinion, where this all went wrong is because the type of people who are going to be drawn to a slasher film... First of all, you had two of them. So people are going to expect the slasher film starring a very specific killer and then to go into this like sci-fi experience is a little jarring and disappointing false advertising that being said i mean the movie had a budget of 2.5 million and it ended up grossing 14.4 million so it's not like it was a flop it was just by far the worst grossing movie of the series at that time now there are only it was the third one but the first two far outperformed it yeah It also garnered a lot of negative reviews, mostly due to the disappointment over the whole Michael Myers not in it thing. I'll also say that it's worth mentioning the trailer for this movie, which is common for trailers back in the day, didn't really give anything away about the plot of this. The trailer is literally like a mask with a slow zoom on it and a voiceover about this is the night no one comes home and then eyes appear in the mask. It really says nothing about the film. Trailers nowadays obviously tease plot, but that was not always the case back then. Yeah. And I almost have to wonder if people went to this movie literally expecting a third Halloween movie with Michael Myers. Obviously, I was one years old in 1982, so I don't remember or would have no idea of how they were marketing that. But that is what it is. It did end up regaining some status and earning a reputation as a standalone cult film to... Some people. Not to me. (laughs) To some people. Yeah. So this film basically was, like I said, not a slasher movie. It was supposed to be a pod movie and... Oh, wait. A pod movie? Yeah. Like a science fiction pod person type body snatcher movie.
1: Oh, okay. I was like, is that like an
0: acronym or... No. So Wallace drew a bunch of inspiration from things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers... And actually, the town that plays a pretty big role in this movie is called Santa Mira. It's a fictional town, but it is also the name of the town in the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, so we're not even being subtle. No, he does a lot of nods to it. And even the subtitle Season of the Witch actually is from a George A. Romero film from 1973 called Season of the Witch, but also had a different title called Hungry Wives. I have not seen that movie. That sounds upsettingly sexual. I've not seen that movie. I don't know a lot about it. I do like George A. Romero quite a bit. He's one who did Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. But apparently it's a story about a housewife who becomes involved in witchcraft. I mean, everyone needs a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. But like I said, when this movie first came out, it didn't do super stellar. Film critics like Jim Harper called Wallace's plot, quote, deeply flawed. And said that, and this is giving away a little bit of the plot of the movie ahead of the game, but I just, I have to say this. This is great. Basically, Harper said, quote, any plot, depending on stealing a chunk of Stonehenge and shipping it secretly across the Atlantic is going to be shaky from the start. Oh, boy. That sounds like shit. (laughs) Yes. So I'll go through uh, the cast There's only a couple people that matter. I'm not going to go through that much of this movie in terms of talking about specific scenes. There are some that are kind of funny to watch and stuff. But when I first did this movie, I was like, I remember this movie being really, really bad. And just like, whenever this movie came up, I would always be like, that movie sucks. That's the movie that we pretend doesn't exist in the Halloween franchise. But, you know, I'm on all these horror forums and stuff like that. And... There is this following for this movie of people that are like, I love this movie. It's my favorite Halloween movie. And people are just super into it. So I was like, maybe I'm misremembering this. Like, maybe old me that was a lot more into sort of like the gore and slashers and stuff like that just didn't appreciate what this movie was. But no, this movie is bad. I would love for somebody to write to me to tell me why this movie is not trash. Because it is bad.
1: Let us know. (laughs)
0: I'm open to considering it, but I tried when I, so when I watched this movie, I tried to look at it from two different perspectives. One, as part of the Halloween franchise, in which case it is just objectively terrible. And two, as a standalone movie, like some sort of sci-fi horror situation, but it was also equally dumb to me. Like I found very few redeeming factors about this movie. So let's get into it. Well, now you've got me all excited. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, the movie opens up. We're in Northern California, and it tells us that it's October, Saturday the 23rd. So, immediately, we see the character Harry Grimbridge, played by Al Barry, and he's running from a car. Eventually, there's going to be a lot of sort of summary of this. So, if people are like, that's not the order it happens, or that's not exactly what happens. Yeah, I know that. I'm not going to waste everyone's time describing this movie like I had to waste my time watching it. So, he's eventually caught, and they basically track him down to this sort of car lot, and then it's this guy in a gray suit with gloves, and he gets on top of Harry, and he's choking him or something. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that exciting of a scene. Sorry, you can restart it. No, it's fine. So, they're in this car lot, and there's this car that, I guess, has a block in front of the wheel because the car was left in neutral, and there's a chain, and so... In order to save himself, Harry grabs the chain and, like, the block comes out from the car and the car rolls and ends up, like, squashing this guy. It was kind of dumb, honestly. But effective. Yeah, it was effective. So then he goes and runs away. Then it jumps to one hour later and they're in this kind of security booth. And you hear on a broadcast that somebody has stolen a stone from Stonehenge. Yes, that's correct. Somebody stole an entire stone from Stonehenge. And I guess nobody noticed. Like an entire slab. Yeah, it's a whole slab. Oh. Oh, oh.
1: how did... Mm. Okay, sorry. In my mind, I was like, okay, did someone like have a cane and just like
0: chip off a piece? No, no. Somehow they stole the entire stone and shipped it across the Atlantic. Honestly, if this is the 23rd and then on, the stone comes into the movie at least in a couple days, that means that they, like, expressed it across the Atlantic, which seems pretty crazy for a stone like that. Yeah, yeah, I I find that suspicious. Yes. So immediately, I am reminded of how dumb this plot is. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So then, after that news broadcast, we see a commercial for the Silver Shamrock Novelty Company advertising three different Halloween masks, a skull, a pumpkin, and a witch. And it plays this annoying song that you hear basically 500 times throughout the movie. It's an important piece of the plot, but essentially the commercials are doing this countdown to Halloween. Like one day to Halloween, two days to Halloween, that kind of a thing. That's count up, but it goes in reverse. Use your imaginations. So Harry eventually has to go to the hospital because he kind of like passes out and says some cryptic shit. But then in the hospital... One of the gray suit guys shows up with black gloves and gouges Harry's eyes out and kind of like crushes his skull. So he dies. That escalated quickly. Okay. Yeah. So they kill him and people in the hospital see him being killed. So they chase the, the guy, the suit guy out and the suit guy gets into a car, douses himself in gasoline, lights himself on fire and the car explodes. Kaboom. This is a wild ride. But it's not like a wild ride that's fun. It's like a wild ride that makes no sense. Yeah, it's kind of all over the place. So this will make a little bit more sense when I talk more about the movie, not necessarily in a good way, but you'll understand it more. But I guess that okay, so I guess that's supposed to be one of the things about this movie is we're like, what's going on? This is all so mysterious.
1: What's happening next?
0: Yeah, we're introduced to the character Dr. Daniel Chalice, played by Tom Atkins. I'll be referring to him as Dr. Dan. And then we also get a little glimpse of his family situation. He has two kids and an ex wife, Linda. They're not really important characters, other than we know that we have to know that he has kids and his ex wife, Linda, is honestly kind of a bitch. And to be truthful, I guess this was not super surprising because it's 1982, but this movie does not have a healthy portrayal of female characters, like at all, because his ex wife is this naggy bitch. And then the other women in it are, like, women who just, like, love for Dr. Dan to flirt with them. And I don't know. Gotta love the 80s. Yeah. So, okay. So then it's kind of cuts, and we see that it's now Sunday, the 24th of October. We're introduced to the character Ellie Grimbridge, played by Stacey Nelkin. Keep in mind, Grimbridge was the guy who was killed in the hospital. So this is his daughter. And she has come to identify her father's body.
1: Ooh, that's awkward.
0: Yeah. That's basically all that happens on that day. And then the movie jumps to Friday the 29th. So I I guess, I don't know. I guess like it was a boring week. So nothing happened during the other, other days. So then Dr. Dan is in a bar. And this is the scene where the commercial for the movie Halloween comes on starring Michael Myers. And then we see the Silver Shamrock commercial as well. He ends up meeting up with Ellie. She says she's looking into her father's death. And realizes that he ran into trouble somewhere between here and Santa Mira, the fictional town from the Body Snatchers, which is also where the Silver Shamrock production factory is. Okay. So they decide to go to Santa Mira, and they kind of hatch a plan where they're going to pose as, I guess, like, mask buyers to try to get into the factory to investigate her father's death. They end up getting a hotel room, and just to give you an idea of, like, I don't know, how it kind of treats characters... Like, Ellie is this guy's daughter. This guy looked like he was the same age as Dr. Dan. So she basically could maybe be Dr. Dan's daughter. You don't know that much about her. There is no alluding to any, like, chemistry between the two of them. But when they get their hotel room, Dr. Dan is like, I can sleep in the car. And Ellie goes, no joke, basically in this tone, where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? Jesus fucking Christ. All right. Yeah. So then they end up making out. I was picturing, like, a teenager. I'm guessing she's not. Well. Oh, shit. I don't know how old she is. There is a scene a little bit later. It's, like, this unnecessarily and uncomfortably slow sex scene where it literally looks like they're moving in slow motion between the two of them. And, obviously, like, it doesn't show a lot because it's this is not a porn. But at one point, they kind of, like, cut and indicate that they had had sex and then they're cuddling and like she climbs on top of him again and he's like aren't you the least bit tired and then he's like how old are you which is like probably the wrong point to be asking that question no sir you should have asked that a lot earlier i mean it's like at this point doesn't matter like what are you gonna do but anyways so okay so there is a loudspeaker on the town that announces a curfew of six o'clock and basically you just hear like at six o'clock everyone has to get in for curfew blah 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 the interesting thing about it is that that announcer voice is jamie lee curtis from the first two halloween movies she is the final girl oh that's fun yes she is not credited with it but it is her voice you also kind of see all these sort of surveillance cameras around town so like somebody is clearly keeping tabs on everything
1: the town is so mysterious. hmm It really is. Cloaked in mystery.
0: Yeah, so... Wrapped
1: in an enigma.
0: <laughs> oh, side note, you do get to see Dr. Dan's butt.
1: Ooh, is it a nice butt?
0: It's okay. Mm. I mean, I'm all for body positivity. I think every butt is nice in its own little way. So, okay, so... Then there's kind of this other lady. The only reason I'm going to bring her up is because she dies, and I did laugh at this scene. I don't think it was supposed to be funny, but so the masks have these little medallions that say silver shamrock on them. Yeah. And each of them has this, and it looks like a branding badge or something like that. I guess that's the only way to describe it. But one of them comes off and this woman... ...is in the neighboring hotel room... ...and she is looking at this badge... ...that kind of came off of this mask... ...and she notices there's a microchip... ...so she takes her bobby pin out... ...and she's trying to get this microchip out of the badge... ...and so she's poking at it... ...and then all of a sudden this like... ...giant blue special effects laser beam... ...shoots from the badge into her mouth... (laughs) ...what? (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of funny... ...how sudden it happened... ...but then her face is like all super mangled up... ...like she's dead... ...and a giant bug crawls out of her mouth and then into her forehead. So then we're like, what? Wait. What the fuck? Yeah. So at this point I'm like, I don't understand any of this.
1: Yeah, no. None of this makes sense. Again, revisit my earlier
0: comment. This is like a shit show but not the fun kind. Yeah. So then the ambulance comes because I guess somebody discovers her dead. And we get to meet at this point Connell Cochran, who is the owner of The Silver Shamrock Novelty Company. They overhear him talking to some of the other suit guys saying that there was a misfire in regards to Marge's death. Okay. So the next day, Saturday the 30th, the coroner who was investigating the hospital guy who set himself on fire, his death in the car. Yeah. Her name is Teddy and she tells Dr. Dan that she's baffled because she's going through all the exploded car remains and there's nothing but metal and plastic. There's no human tissue or bone. So we're like, dun, dun, dun. I wonder what's happening. He's a robot. I know. It's pretty obvious. Okay, so super long story short, Dr. Dan and Ellie end up going to the Silver Shamrock factory under sort of false pretenses to sort of investigate. They raise suspicions. They end up being chased. Dr. Dan ends up running, I think, into part of the factory. He sees this, like, old lady knitting and goes to, like, goes up to her to talk to her and then shakes her and her head falls off and she's animatronic. Oh, Okay. Yeah, then he gets into a fist fight with one of the suit guys. Somehow he wins, even though he's kind of this middle-aged doctor, and this guy is a robot. And he punches the guy through the chest, and then when he, like, takes his fist out, it's covered in this yellow goop, and he's pulling, like, wiring out. So it just kind of confirms that they're robots. And I say this, like, this happened right after we got that clue from the coroner, but this is a long ways after that. Oh, God. I'm just skipping a lot of stuff, because this movie sucks. Yeah. (laughs) God. You're so blunt about it. I love it. I'll point out for everybody listening that this was the point in the movie where I had to take a literal break because I was losing so much interest in this movie. I was finding it hard to concentrate and still care about it. I had to take a literal break from this movie, but I'm no quitter. So I championed on. After that, Mr. Cochran comes out because this is in the factory and he's like speaking all weird and cryptic and stuff like that. But Ellie and Dr. Dan had been separated. And Dan didn't know where Ellie was. Well, Cochran basically has her and she's in the factory. So then it's the next day, which is Sunday the 31st, Halloween day. Bom, bom, bom. Yeah. And I'm really excited because I realized this movie has to be almost over, right? Oh, my God. Well, no, this movie still has 30 minutes left. Uh. So then I'm super bummed. So Cochran is talking to Dr. Dan about how hard it was to make his robot suit, guys, which I don't know. I was thinking about this a little bit, and these obviously these androids look very human-like, and one of the hardest things for me to believe in this movie is that somebody would make such lifelike robots for non-sexual purposes. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I'm... Yeah. Like, if humans are going to make other humanoid robots, you know somebody's just doing it for, like, a sex toy. I mean, they already make those, basically. Yeah. Okay, so... Long story short, Cochrane takes Dr. Dan into the basement of the factory where he encounters this room that has all this like kind of funny like 80s sci-fi technology looking stuff like the com- TV monitors that are gigantic compared to what we use now and stuff like that. Lots of like beep, boop, beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. Where you know it's all like cardboard, like spray painted with silver and shit like that. I I actually do kind of like that stuff. But also in the middle of this room is the giant stone from Stonehenge.
1: All right. I'm like... My brain is anticipating this big, earth-shattering connection between robots and Stonehenge, and I really get the
0: feeling I'm not going to get it. No, there is no explanation of that. But what's kind of funny is that Cochrane at one point, is like, you wouldn't believe what we had to do to get this here. And I'm thinking, yeah, I wouldn't either, so, like, what did you do? And then he doesn't say it. Because I literally think that they just could not think of a reason to explain how they got a Stonehenge rock from across an ocean in a couple of days. I was like, okay, I guess we won't believe it because you're not going to tell us anything. Yeah, no. Yeah. So then he reveals that the rock has some sort of force or power and that they're using a particle of the rock inside of each little silver shamrock badge. And then he basically tells Dr. Dan that he's going to show him a demonstration. Mm -hmm. So the demonstration is that there's this other family called the Cupfers. They're led to this living room set type situation that has some cameras monitoring them And they have a little boy, and they tell the boy to put on the mask, so he puts on the mask. And then they play the Silver Shamrock commercial, but it's a little bit different. And this pumpkin image starts flashing across the screen while the boy is looking at it, and the mask reacts, and the boy ends up collapsing, and then all these, like, insects and bugs and snakes start crawling out of his dead face. (laughs) Okay, so I was, like, expecting
1: mind control or the mask like kills him well it did kill him but like or i don't i mean i was expecting something like like goosebumps the the goosebumps with the mask the halloween mask
0: i have not read a single goosebumps the only thing okay i'm learning about goosebumps because i do listen to that say pod and die podcast but i do i have not read them i'm just learning them because I'm listening to these people tell me the stories.
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) Sometimes I forget that you're nine years older than me.
0: I mean, Goosebumps came out when I was growing up. I just had no interest in it. It was what it was.
1: Yeah. Well, regardless, there's like an entire series of
0: books within the Goosebumps series of masks like taking over children. Oh. Well, this one just killed the kid. And then all those... I I don't really get the insects and snakes like coming out of him. I guess it's witchcraft. I was about to say, like, that's what doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, they never explain why that happens that way. But <laughs> there is a little bit of a further clarification from Cochrane talking to Dr. Dan when Dr. Dan sees this and says, what's going on? And he also asks, why are you doing this? And Cochrane literally his response to him asking that is, do I need a reason? I do love a good joke. And this joke is on the children. But there's a better reason. You don't really know much about Halloween, do you? And when he said that, I was preparing myself for something really dumb, and this movie did not disappoint in that department.
1: I can't wait.
0: He then goes on to explain about Halloween, saying, in the old Celtic lands, how they were waiting in their houses made of clay, which honestly doesn't really sound right, because this guy's not that old. I mean, he's like maybe 60 or 70, but I'm pretty sure they're not where like in clay houses back in the 20s and 30s yeah and but then he's like yeah yes Halloween the festival of Samhain when the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children and, and it that, gets to be real problematic sir no that's not oh boy and then Dr. Dan literally goes witchcraft <laughs> and Cochrane starts talking about the planets aligning and shit and uh, you know like mercury being in Gatorade and all that And then he puts a mask on Dr. Dan and sticks Dr. Dan in front of a TV tied to a chair and is like, happy Halloween. So I guess the whole thing and the whole plot of this movie then is now revealed that this guy Cochran steals a stone from Stonehenge so that he can do this mass murder of children on Halloween To celebrate the feast of Samhain like the old days when the hills ran red with the blood of kids. And that's why Roger Ebert in his review is like, so what's his plan? To kill the children? And then what? And when in Roger Ebert's thing, he's like, what, turn them into robots or something? And so I couldn't remember this movie that well. And I was like, do the masks turn them into robots after they kill the kids? But they don't. They just kill them.
1: I hate this so much.
0: Yeah. And then the other point, too, is like, so obviously this happens when the kids are watching the commercial, but the whole point of the commercial is it's like, listen to the big giveaway at 9 p.m. Well, 9 p.m. on the East Coast is not 9 p.m. on the West Coast. So that's why they're like, the country literally has four hours to figure out what's going on and like stop doing this. I don't know. The plot is so weak and shaky. So anyways, Dr. Dan eventually breaks free because they tie him to a chair, but they don't tie his legs down. So, I don't know. He He kicks the screen of the TV out and then uses, like, a shattered piece of TV screen to cut his bindings. It's stupid, but it is not the stupidest part of this movie by a long shot.
1: Which is really sad because that's real stupid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So then he's running around. He's trying to free Ellie. At some point, he basically grabs a box of these, like, silver shamrock badge things with the... Stonehenge particle in them. Yeah. And they see him. So he's running up. He runs up to this like lookout platform above the basement with all the sci fi equipment. It's all being manned by robot people too. Yeah. And then he takes the box and essentially turns on like the TVs to be playing the commercial and then like throws all the medallions down on these people and it like reacts with the TVs. And so it like kills all the robots. And with, like, blue
1: lasers, like the
0: lady? Well, so it doesn't kill them with blue lasers. It kind of just kills them because there's a lot of sparks and short-circuiting. But then there is a giant blue laser ring that starts to circle and creates this, like, big blue laser energy ring. And Cochran looks up at Dr. Dan and starts clapping. And then the blue laser ring interacts with the Stonehenge piece and does this, like, Huge blue laser between the stone and the ring, which goes right through Cochrane, which turns him into this, like, completely white, ashy-looking version of himself. And then he disappears. I
1: really want this to be the end. Like, A, to just, like, round off the shit show, and also
0: because I'm ready for this to be over. Well, this is almost the end. (laughs) I mean... To be honest, in this scene, I literally was like, what the fuck is happening right now? But I was just so annoyed at the whole experience. So anyways, you would think this is the end, and it probably could have been and should have been. But they still had to keep the kids from dying because this isn't the TV station. Like, the commercial was still going to air. So then Dr. Dan, (laughs) he calls his ex-wife and is like, don't let the kids watch the commercial and take off their masks. And his ex-wife is like, you're just jealous that I got them better masks than you did. (laughs) And so it's like, I don't know. Linda is kind of a bitch, but whatever. Fine, Linda. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I was like, fine, Linda. Let the kids watch the commercial. See if I care. Did you get one for yourself? (laughs) Yeah, so Dr. Dan and Ellie basically are like driving somewhere. And then he looks over and Ellie starts attacking him because Ellie is robot Ellie now. How did they build a robot Ellie so quickly? I don't know. What happened to the real Ellie? Ellie. I don't know. See, I'm not sure if real Ellie was turned into a robot Ellie or if they just made a robot Ellie. Or what if
1: Ellie was a robot the whole time?
0: That... What if Dr.
1: Dan had sex with a robot?
0: I don't think that that would happen.
1: It's just like what you said.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think that this movie just can't explain anything. So, okay. So then Dr. Dan basically call makes a phone call. And I guess he's talking to the TV station and he's like, don't air the commercial. Don't air the commercial. Who does he call? And why does a doctor know this number like from heart? Because he just stops at like a payphone or something, I think. And he's like, don't air the commercial. So the commercial is like starting at this point. So they stop the commercial. But then there's like a TV and they flick it to another channel. And he's like, take it off the second channel too. This is not how commercials work and this is not how commercials worked in the 80s either so then they stopped on the second channel so then somebody flips to a third channel and the commercial is playing on the third channel and he's like stop the commercial stop the commercial and then the movie fades out and that's it so we're left wait you're
1: kidding please tell me you're kidding please tell me that it does not end on such a shitty note no that's
0: how it ends but i think the ending is pretty fitting for this movie
1: yeah, because it's shitty. Yeah.
0: So to be honest, I guess we're left not knowing if the kids died. I mean, maybe they did. The silver lining to that would be that these kids would never grow up to watch this movie. <laughs> so that's the plot of Halloween 3. That's so bad. It. I just don't understand what people see in this movie. How did this become a cult classic? There are some cult classics that are so stupid that people like them maybe that's part of this but to be honest it's not even entertainingly bad it's just really bad it's super boring for the first entire hour of it the plot does not make sense and i am not one of those people that's like oh i found a plot hole this movie could never happen you know like i'm not sitting there trying to like Dissect why warp travel is not possible in, like, Star Trek, you know? Like, that's not my jam. I can suspend my disbelief a lot for a movie. But when plots are just, like, flat-out dumb and, like, this is, like, stealing a piece of Stonehenge. I... Okay, Um, that's
1: kind of my thing is like, I'm totally comfortable with suspending my disbelief, but it does kind of fall on the creator to make it at least like,
0: at least make up a reason. Yeah. And I mean, I have to also agree with, I guess like some, what the critics said about like, what is the point of this? Like, I guess the whole point is that this guy feels connected to his Celtic roots. And wants to celebrate Samhain by killing all the children of America? Question mark. It's I. Mm, I don't know. It just
1: makes no sense to me, and I'm not a fan.
0: Yes. And also, I'll just point out, I am not upset that this movie is like Samhain is this bloody feast day, whatever. Like many movies have done that, and actually, they do talk about Samhain in the original Halloween movies, and actually, and. I think it's in the second one where they talk about how Michael Myers somehow is like connected to Samhain and that's like why he gets his evil powers or something like that. That's not what upsets me about this movie either. So it's not like I have some like, oh, my God, you can't use pagan religious festivals to your plot point liking. That doesn't bother me. But when you do it in such a dumb manner, it does bother me. Yeah, it's just stupid. So. Anyway, like I said, Halloween three season of the witch. And I will point this out. Halloween 4, they jumped right back into the Michael Myers train because they realized that this whole thing was a bad idea. But, again, if you're one of the people that enjoyed this movie, one, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Anytime somebody enjoys something, I'm not here to, like, shit on that. Like, I'm glad you found something to enjoy. If there is something I'm missing about why this movie is so great, please email or comment so that I can try to gain a new perspective because I'm open to it. I just don't get it. This might be... One of, if not the worst movies that I have watched for this podcast. Anyways. Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. Terrible. So, now, tell me what you're going to talk about. Oh, boy. This is
1: like the week of... was well the week of Halloween masks. It is the week of things that we were not particularly fond of. Yeah. So, this week, I've got a book that I feel very conflicted about because... It was good.
0: I just didn't like it. You're going to have to explain.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, I'll get there. Uh, So today I'm doing The Last Final Girl by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, Some horror readers out there might recognize his name. He just recently came out with a book that got a whole lot of hype and buzz called The Only Good Indians. And at first, this sounds like a really problematic title, but he is Blackfeet Native American. So to paraphrase the incomparable Miss Cracker... He can say it that way, but you can't. (laughs) The cover is actually super cool. I don't mean this in a shady way at all. It's just you can tell that it is from a small publishing house just because that's not really the way that a lot of the big publishers design their books nowadays. But it's still really well done. It almost has this like it's an outline of a girl with blood spatters. It almost has this vibe of like chalk outline of the body kind of thing. The tagline is pretty long, but it is worth it. So strap in. You screamed with scream. You dressed up for Halloween. You went camping on Friday the 13th and you stayed awake for Nightmare on Elm Street. Now shimmy into that skirt. Pick up whatever blade is handy. It's time for The Last Final Girl. That's pretty good. Which leads us pretty nicely into the blurb because it'll kind of explain the title. And then I swear I will actually talk about the book instead of just, like, quoting both sides of the cover. When Lindsay chooses a host of virgins, misfits, and former final girls to replace the slaughtered members of her original homecoming court, it's not just a fight for survival. It's a fight to become the last final girl. So basically, it's like an all-star season of
0: horror. Interesting. So, okay, I mean... I have plot questions, but I'll just wait till you start talking about it.
1: Yeah, and I'm probably not going to answer them because I want you to read this. (laughs) And I'll get to why. So here's my thing. I say all the time about how I have trouble watching movies because I lose interest somewhere in the middle. Basically, like, I just can't handle act two of anything. I'm conflicted about this book because it's written like a movie. There are not chapters. There is act one. Act two and act three. There's like a weird intermission, I'm using air quotes here, chapter, but like it's basically set up like a movie arc, even down to the point where narration is things like camera pans to or our view flies over the town, zooming in on. Like that's how structured like a movie it is. Like it's not to the point where it's written like a play where it's like name, line, name, line but it's the narration style and it is the way that the story arc is. So it's the way that a movie story arc would go, which means just like a movie halfway through, I completely lost interest.
0: I'd have to read a little bit of it to see. I mean, I don't really read like screenplays or anything. So see, I don't seeing like stage direction sounds weird to me. I'll read you a
1: portion after to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. It's hard to explain other than the fact that like it narrates all of it. So it will literally be like people are talking and when they finish a conversation, the next paragraph will be like camera pans away from so-and-so and and -and so-and-so to show X, Y, Z in the background. Okay. But it's not in like italics or anything. It's literally the narration of the story. I don't know. It's weird. The thing is, I could tell the whole time that this was a good book. Like, it's a huge homage to slasher films. And even I got some of the references, which, like, <laughs> is a big deal. Well, we have been watching some of the old
0: slashes together.
1: Well, and, like, Slumber Party Massacre is mentioned in it. Like, oh, yeah. things like that. If it had been structured like a normal novel, I would have eaten it up. It was simply the fact that it was structured like a movie that I just got bored with. But I know, like, subjectively, that's just me. Like, that's just my right. own issue with the way that movie story arcs go and how I don't like them. So the story opens up with basically what is the end of a slasher film. So we have Lindsay and she is being attacked by a killer named Billy Jean because he wears a Michael Jackson mask. where does he get this mask well a delivery truck full of halloween masks crashed at the river that runs by town anyway she defeats him in a really comedic way so i'm gonna tell you about it so it's a harrowing setting on the edge of a cliff Lindsay is there and then out of nowhere her childhood horse wildfire because of course this horse's (laughs) name is wildfire i'm surprised it wasn't like cinnamon or chestnut Anyway, her horse has kind of like wandered in out of nowhere, and Billy Jean shows up with a long sword. It's a really impractical weapon. It, well, it was stolen straight from the trophy case of her high school. Her high school kept a long sword? I it had something to do with their mascot. Okay. So the horse rears up and it kicks at Billy Jean, so Billy Jean is like, uh uh-uh, uh, no. So Billy Jean stabs the horse through the eyes. Yes, I said eyes, like in one eye out the other, okay, which I googled, and i'm I'm not a veterinarian. I know nothing about animal anatomy, but I glanced at a quick little diagram, and it looks like a horse's brain is up above the eyes, so I guess you could technically do that without killing a horse, but that sounds very suspect to me. Then Billy tries to decapitate the horse, and Lindsay stops him how you ask she has whipped off her bikini top (laughs) and wrapped it around the blade (laughs) but don't get too excited because she is the final girl so we only see her from the back no titties for you (laughs) is that like what the book says no okay that that is my own wit thank you
0: oh it's it's well done you're
1: welcome (laughs) and when he backs up she remembers her Sunday school classes. So she decides to use her bikini top as a sling. David and Goliath reference.
0: That's terrible.
1: That's fine. The stone misses, but the strap of her top hits just the right spot and it whips through the eye hole in the Michael Jackson mask and hits him in the eyeball. Oh, man. And he stumbles off the cliff into the river. The sword follows down after him, and presumably it stabs through him and kills him. Spoiler alert, he's not dead. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do a play by play of the plot, but I'll tell you that much. Like, otherwise, the book ends on page
0: 10. Also, I feel like anybody familiar with horror movies knows that if you don't see the slasher killer die, then he's probably not dead. Where
1: is the body? Carol Baskin, what? That's honestly just a taste of how this book paints these scenes. It's so abundantly tongue-in-cheek. It's completely self-aware. Like, it's not trying to do anything other than what it clearly is, which is paying homage while also making fun of these ridiculous over-the-top slasher films. That said, it clearly went over some people's heads because I looked through the reviews on Goodreads, and oh my goodness... There were some that literally, like, I laughed out loud reading because it went so far over their heads, their hair didn't even ruffle. Like people not getting that this was making fun of slasher movies? Yes, and there were even some who kind of got where he was going with it, but didn't see the depth of it, and so just thought it was stupid. Whereas, like, I hear you talk about horror movies all the time, even pre-podcast, so I, at the very least... Knew some of the tropes that were being played up. And, you know, people make fun of the way that the killer is killed at the end of slasher movies all the time. Like, so I knew reading this, like, over the top, absurd bikini top battle, like, I knew what he was doing there. Right. I don't know. It was, this is, it was one of the strangest books I've read in a long time. Like I said, it was good, just wasn't for me. Still, we'll get there. But if you're not walking into this book wholly aware of what the author is doing, it reads like absolute trash. All right. I mean, that's fair enough. Anyway, some of my other favorite parts. So our main character, surprisingly, is not Lindsay. Our main character is named Izzy, despite what the blurb and the opening scene tells us. And Izzy is the punk character that we all know is in every single slasher film and she's obsessed with horror, and everyone thinks she's a huge slut. She even goes so far at one point as to say to another character, and this is paraphrased, I'm supposed to stand up for the people who can't stand up for themselves. That's my role.
0: Which honestly just reminds me of Tamara. It is kind of like Tamara, like that character, but I feel like that character is used quite a bit, actually in more than just horror movies, but... The kind of, like, edgy girl who's, like, also going to stand up for the little guy.
1: She secretly has a heart of gold. Yeah.
0: Honestly, the entire time I was reading the book, I was
1: like, this girl would be Max's best friend. (laughs) Almost all of the characters are some sort of slasher cliche. Like, you have the actual super slutty girl, and it's, like, implied that she got expelled, but then she fucked the principal, so she got, like, brought back into the school. There's like the nerdy girl. There's the like dumb class clown. Like there's all of those like teen slasher horror movie cliches. And just like I'm not going to give you a blow by blow of the scenes, I'm just breaking down Izzy. I'm not going to break down every single character. But every scene in this book is some sort of homage to a slasher trope. There's even a locker room scene.
0: I mean, you cannot have a good horror Lasher without a locker room scene.
1: It's, I mean, I just, like, I can't emphasize enough how self-aware this book is. Like I said, I'm talking about it like I liked it, and I didn't like it for my own personal reasons, but it's still so good and it's so smart. Sure. Because Izzy even points out that, like and again, this is paraphrased, that like girls are walking around in towels and you never quite see anything. And the book flat out says, it seems like near misses, not choreography. Kind of like how in every single locker room scene, like you almost see something you shouldn't, oh. but you never quite do. Like yeah, they just barely have stepped around the corner when they take off their towel, like that sort of thing. Honestly, more than Any other book that I have ever recommended to you pre-podcast, during the podcast, or whatever, asking you to read, I honestly want you to read this one because there are so many horror movie references that I just didn't get. I don't know why I read these homage books. It's like how I was reading Best Friend's Exorcism, and I was like, I can tell that
0: swatches are special, but I don't know what a swatch is. Like, Yeah, I mean, some of those things, if they're made for people that know about a certain thing and you don't know about it, A little bit might be lost on you, I guess. But you would get it. And that's why I want you to read it, because I think you would
1: really enjoy it. It's super short. It'll only take you an afternoon. I'm just saying. (laughs) So before I get to my rating, there is a part of the book where Izzy has written on the stall wall slashers that aren't, with like a colon at the end, meaning like movies and characters that behave like a slasher film but aren't officially slasher films, In the book, someone answers, just to give you examples, Glenn Close, which I don't understand. Unless, like, she usually plays characters that kill people. I really have no idea. Uh, T1000, which I had to look up, but that is the android from The Terminator. Yes. Uh, Why are you laughing?
0: It's just adorable. Uh, And then the Aliens movie. Well, Aliens, I would not classify as slashers they're creature features
1: but it's slashers that aren't
0: yeah so i guess
1: i think the whole concept is like a movie that has slasher aspects but is not considered a slasher yeah sure so because you watch so many movies and you can cut you can cut this entire portion if you want to i'm curious if you can think of any others
0: slashers that aren't yes um i guess i don't know what they're like what the criteria is like just something where somebody gets where a lot of people get killed and there's kind of a final girl but it's not an actual slasher
1: that's my guess oh which i forgot to mention earlier to give you even more of a clue of how clueless i am about horror movies i had actually never heard the term final girl until we recorded our first episode
0: what yeah how is that possible
1: I'm motioning to open air for everyone who cannot see me. Like, I don't know. Kay Gasp. Gay okay, gasp. Anyway, uh, back to the question. Pop quiz.
0: I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, most creature movies are going to behave like that because it's usually someone, maybe not a girl, but it's usually someone besting the creature in the end after the creature has killed a ton of people. Like, I don't feel like Alien is um, unique in that aspect. So I don't know. I think that there's a lot. I guess I would maybe have to read it to see more of the context of what they're even asking. But I, like, literally almost any creature movie is going to be like that. I'm trying to think.
1: I don't even watch enough movies to realize that a creature movie is going to be like that. So this is, like, enough of an answer for me.
0: Or even, to be truthful, like, even a lot of zombie movies are kind of in that aspect.
1: True. Things, even, like, 28 Days Later,
0: because even I've seen that one. Yeah. So, I guess if it's j- if it's just about, like, a lot of people getting killed and then, like, there being, like, a final survivor, it's, I don't know, I guess, like, most horror <laughs> movies kind of follow that, that sort of formula, because that's part of what's interesting about it, is seeing somebody go through this sort of harrowing experience, being scared... Generally, things do work out in the end, although not always. I mean, horror kind of evolved to be a little bit different. But, I mean, that's probably a topic for a different day. I mean, horror always used to have, like, the final girl. Like, even... Well, that... Never mind. Horror usually, I would say pre... Maybe mid to late 80s, usually had things working out in the end. So, like, that naturally would have a final girl or final, like, small group of people or a couple people. Yeah. I think, like, more in, like, the mid to late 80s, it became a little bit more acceptable. Yeah. Clive Barker really started... He's credited with
1: starting that trend of, like, not every horror story has a happy ending.
0: Yeah. So, I think now we're kind of like, oh, there are some of these movies that are really surprising because in the end, like, people die. To be honest, like, a lot of Rob Zombie's horror movies are kind of like that, too, where... He does this kind of effective thing where he teases like it's going to work out in the end and then like at the very last minute sort of snatches that away from you. If I ever do something by him, I'll probably talk about it at that time. I actually do like a lot of Rob Zombie's movies. He does have some lemons, I'm not going to lie. If you've seen the movie 31, you know what I'm talking about. But that is like an effective technique for him. And I think sometimes we take for granted that you know, these sort of devices haven't always existed. Like, at one point, the fact that a horror movie might end with no final girl in it was sort of shocking to people.
1: Yeah. Anyways,
0: but I digress. Anyway, overall,
1: despite the fact that I personally did not enjoy reading this book, I would still give it four out of five chalk body outlines. If I were basing it off of my reading experience alone, I would give it one star. But, like, I I really can't emphasize enough for, like, you and for anyone listening. Like, I just don't like sitting through an entire movie. And this read like a movie. So, if you enjoy movies at all, like, literally at all, you will not have the problem that I had with this. Yeah. I mean, you're
0: not lying. I mean, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is because I can talk to you about these horror movies because you do not like to watch movies. Yeah,
1: no, I just, I don't, I just get bored part way through, like, almost every single movie. But like I said, I realized that that is a completely and totally, like, subjective thing that only has to do with me. It's my own weird little whatever. The book is good. The book is good. The author does what he's doing really well. Honestly, like, I'd write a paper on it. Like, if I were still in college because I was an English major in undergrad, like, I would write a paper about this in a heartbeat. It's so well done for what it's trying to do. It just wasn't for me personally. But, yeah, four out of five chalk body outlines.
0: Okay, so then I guess if you were in the last final girl, but I guess we're not necessarily the last final girl, would you end up being killed in it? Probably. I'm not.
1: Exactly final girl material. Um, <laughs> But also, like, a lot of people die, and there are points where there's not really rhyme or reason to it, and I have really terrible bad luck, Uh, with the exception of meeting you, of course. So, yes, I would probably die. Would you die in Season of the Witch?
0: Sorry, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. From boredom, maybe. But... As far as dying, if I were in the movie, probably not. The people that are killed are usually people looking into the silver shamrock, which I would have no interest in, or the people like, I guess, wearing the masks and watching TV, which I also would have no interest in. So I would probably say no. There are a few other deaths I did not talk about, but I don't know. No. I mean, that movie was just dumb. I wouldn't die. All right. I-, <laughs> I have nothing else to say about that.
1: <laughs> well, if you have opinions about Halloween 3 season of The Witch, or if you also have opinions about The Last Final Girl, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram
0: and Twitter and Goodreads at Second to Die Pod. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns. If you have any suggestions, or if you want to tell me what I am missing about Halloween 3, by all means, I'm very open-minded to perhaps something that i missed but you can email that to second to diepod at gmail.com
1: thank you so much for listening tune in next week where we can talk about stuff that we actually like in the meantime feel free to rate review subscribe we get really excited anytime something like that happens and remember if you can't be first you can
0: always be second to die